Good morning, Deep Run family. Uh, this morning we will be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, if you're here with us and you need a Bible to borrow or to keep, uh, you can find them in the back. And if you're joining us online, we're so glad you're with us. And if you um, need a Bible, just reach out to one of us and we'll find a way to get you one. Reading from Ephesians chapter 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to God, our rock and our redeemer today. We're we're about halfway through Paul's famous letter to the churches around Ephesus. And we had just transitioned last week to the second half of his letter. And we looked in the first six verses of Ephesians chapter four, and we read that Paul was focusing on not simply our theology of grace, but our practices of grace, habits of grace, a lifestyle of grace. How do we live in grace? And Paul had written that we practice a lifestyle of grace by pursuing unity in the church. We never have it perfectly, but in this life, on this side of heaven, while we're still sinners but forgiven sinners, as a church, we pursue unity but not uniformity. Yes, there is unity in the church, but there should never be uniformity. There is much diversity in the church. And Paul shows us that, this, shows us that in today's passage. Diversity is very important in the church, but not for the sake of diversity. Diversity is important in the church for the sake of of maturity, for mutual good. And as a matter of fact, um, you know what? I'll tell you what. I, I, forgot, to gra- I forgot to grab the remote today. Um, Holly, would you be willing to advance the slides for me? Thank you so much. Sorry you have to pay more attention now. Um, but, but I appreciate that. I just realized I, I, forgot, I forgot the clicker, forgot to grab it. So you see, you see in the, oh, we lost it. Okay, that's okay. I'll just keep talking. Um, so verse 7, there we go. Paul, oh, you guys are the best. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. Let's just make sure it works. Oh, look at that. I love technology. Okay, so verse 7. Look at verse 7. This is how Paul transitions. He says, but grace, so we're talking about maturity and unity, but now he says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's talking about unity, and then he says, but grace was given to each one of us. Now, he's not talking about saving grace. We don't all have different amounts of saving grace. Either God has saved you, or you're not saved yet. We don't have different amounts of saving grace. He's talking about the distribution of God's gracious generosity in diverse types of spiritual gifts and talents and roles that are represented in a healthy church. I love all of my children equally, all six of them. But on Christmas morning, they all get different gifts. They'd all be very disappointed if the same six gifts were given to those six kids. There are different types of gifts given by our same spiritual father to very different types of people. God's children each steward different gifts and different roles. So I want to ask you a very pointed question. What are you doing in the church's life? Whether you're a part of our church here or whether you're, you're online, um, you know, uh, you happen to find us by Googling us, uh, whether you're with us and visiting and we're so glad that you're here and you're going to head back uh, to some other place, to, to, to your home church, you know, whatever the case may be, I want to ask you a personal question. What are you doing in the church's life? Why are you among us? Is it mostly to take or is it also to give? Is it just to experience worship or is it also to mature? And look, if you're not sure, that's okay. We're all a work in progress. But if you have been saved by grace, you must grow up in grace. If you've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you must grow up. As Chrissy said to the kids, you must grow up practically as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about how the early church matured. And we're going to talk about how we today must mature. And we're going to talk about even how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, matured. That may not seem obvious to you, but we'll get to it. How the early church matured, how we mature today, and even how Jesus Christ matured. So in these verses, Paul basically gave the Ephesians a sort of blueprint. I'll use that term very, I'll use that word loosely. But it's sort of a blueprint for how the early church would mature in the first couple of centuries. And he actually quotes uh, King David. He quotes Psalm 68. There we go. He quotes Psalm 68, specifically verse 18, where it says, when God ascended on high, this is a paraphrase, when God ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. In Psalm 68, David had, had pictured God as a conquering king, 
ascending his throne in victory, taking the spoils from all of his defeated enemies and giving the spoils to his beloved subjects as gifts. So he takes the spoils from the enemy and he gifts them to, to, his, to his loyal, beloved subjects. And, and David pictures God as a conquering king going into Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but Paul slightly altered David's words here. And so there's been a lot of scholarly debate over why Paul did that. A couple of words are shifted and changed. But the meaning of what Paul is doing here is clear. We don't know why he changed the wording, but the meaning, his intent is very obvious. Jesus Christ conquered sin and death and Satan. Jesus is the conquering king. He ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he's given out gifts. Jesus is a conquering king. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he's given out gifts to all of his people. That's what Paul is saying. And Peter, the apostle Peter, said something similar on the day of Pentecost when when the Holy Spirit gave birth to the church in Acts chapter 2. Peter had said, you know, because everybody was wondering why everybody was speaking in tongues and, and prophesying. I'm not sure why there's a delay. Is that thing, it's plugged in, right? Maybe put it on, is it on the side of the computer facing me? If you pl- unplug, unplug the dongle and, and plug it into the laptop on this side and it'll, there'll be less interference. Sorry, guys. You get to see how the sausage is made today. <laughs> anyway, the Apostle Peter, while trying to explain what was going on on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit was moving in power in public amongst Christians, Peter said, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Christ had ascended to heaven. He had sent his Holy Spirit to the church and the Holy Spirit would spread the good news about Jesus. Now, how would the Holy Spirit do that? How would the Holy Holy Spirit tell the world about Jesus and spread the news of the gospel from nation to nation, from continent to continent? Paul tells us in today's passage. All right, I may have to just ask you to advance it. Thank you so much. I'm going to put this down and just going to ask you for your help. Thanks, Holly. Paul basically said he gave apostles prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is how the Holy Spirit was going to spread news about Jesus across the globe. Now, those titles, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, apostles, they're difficult to interpret precisely, and different church traditions have interpreted those titles differently. But here is what is obvious. All of these offices in the church, whether whether they were temporary and just for a time or whether they are perpetual, ongoing until Jesus comes back, all of the offices and roles in the church, as with all the spiritual gifts and talents given to individual believers in the church, they're all given by God 
for the maturity of the whole church. A leader in an office or, or um, a highly visible gift or skill. These offices and these abilities and, and skills and gifts, they are not for status and they're not for a person's personal privilege. Every role and every gift is for serving, serving others so that everyone grows up in their faith. And so we see in the New Testament a balance of diversity contributing to unity. You know, our society talks about diversity all the time, but it's typically the type of diversity that benefits the individual. Diversity for the sake of an individual's good. The problem with that, and this is why our society is really struggling, the problem with that, as any soldier or any educator would know, any musician, any athlete that plays on a team, any doctor or medical professional or first responder, frankly, anybody that works on a team, everybody understands that the individual member is better served when the whole body flourishes, right? But the body can wither when any individual demands too much care and attention. While some of these offices, like apostle and prophet, seem to be temporary, seem to have been temporary for a time, other roles like evangelist and pastor and teacher, they continue. They are clearly perpetual. So how we mature now as a church depends upon active development. Our maturity as a church depends upon active development. Now we've been asking ourselves recently as a church through this study in Ephesians, how do we develop a practical theology? Not just an academic theology, but a theology that changes the way we live, that has real fruit and impact in our lives and our witness. If we're saved by grace, how do we live by grace? That's practical theology. Well, the Apostle Peter in his second letter talked about practical theology. Next slide, please. Second Peter chapter 1. He said that we have to make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and adding to these things steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Now, we can spend hours analyzing every single one of those things. But I hope you get the picture. Active development. If you follow Jesus, are you actively developing? Are, are you supplementing the faith that God gave you as a gift? Because Peter went on to say, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian ought not take their faith for granted, but actively develop. So here's an illustration from professional sports. Think of young first-round draft picks in any major sport. Think of how these teenagers are the most talented athletes in the world at their age, for their age. They have natural ability, 
They have physical dominance. Their competitive instincts are off the charts. Many of them have highly supportive parents. Some of them have highly supportive coaches. All of that is there. It's all in place, but it's only there as potential. So much more has to happen beyond being drafted by a professional sports team for that young athlete to develop as a professional athlete, to ever make it and stay in the, in, in the pros, and maybe even to become great. Other factors are really important. For instance, what team drafts the young person? Who's the coach of that team? Is, does the coach believe in developing young talent? Who are the veteran athletes on that team? Are they people that are willing to come alongside of a rookie and help them and befriend them, or are they prima donnas and selfish and egotistical and still want all the glory for themselves? All of these factors are important. Is the young draft pick teachable? Is the young draft pick resilient and able to adapt in all sorts of circumstances? All of that determines whether a young draft pick stays in the pros and develops as a consistent professional athlete and maybe even becomes great someday. So Paul asserts that Christ's intention for his church is that we each all develop until, next slide please, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's another one of those amazing statements that Paul writes that makes you dizzy. But the point is, add to our faith, supplement the gift that God gave us with good choices, with consistency, in unity, employing the gifts that God's given each of us employing the roles that he's called each of us to until we mature to full personhood. So submit yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, submit yourself to him for the employment of your gifts and talents and skills and learned experiences for the church's good. You each have to ask yourself, are we each maturing in the grace of God? Am I maturing in the grace of God and am I contributing to our maturity? Are you maturing in the grace of God and are you contributing to our maturity? I need you to contribute to my, I'm telling you as a pastor, I need you to use your gifts so that I can mature. Just as I need to use mine to help you mature. If the answer is no, you have to ask yourself why. If you're not maturing in grace, or if you are not helping us mature in grace, I encourage you to ask why. You may have to examine whether that's because of your background or because of your personal choices. Here's what I mean. If you've never participated in church before, in any church before, if you're new to Christianity, or at least you're new to a church environment and a church culture, it, it could just be that you didn't know. You didn't know that we're all supposed to participate. Maybe that your church background, maybe you were religious growing up, but your church background did not emphasize the unity 
of the church and the employment of skills and gifts from every believer for the unity and blessing of the church. That's possible. Well, we're very patient. It's okay. Like, we'll, we'll be very patient with you, and we're eager for you to discover how Jesus has called you to contribute, because he has. He's called you to contribute. He's given you abilities. He may call you to some role or office that right now you wouldn't believe it if he told you. That happened for me for years. Pastor, absolutely not. That is the lamest career choice I had ever heard of. It was like five or six years, and finally I was like, oh, like, this is, the Lord's been like slowly, patiently trying to get me to see that, that this thing that I thought was lame is actually what he's asking me to do with most of my life. We'll be patient too. The Lord has something for you. You need to discover what that is and contribute so that you and we can all mature. But maybe it's not your background. Maybe it's your personal choices. Maybe you're not new to the church. Maybe you're not new to the concept of the life of a church. And, and, and maybe for you, um, you know better. You're not contributing and you know better. You're not using what God has entrusted to you for the spiritual maturity of the rest of us and you know better. And for you, you may just have to grow up. I don't mean that in an insulting way. Jesus said, Paul said it. He uses the words grow up. So don't take it from me. <laughs> but seriously, from a spiritual perspective, you may have to grow up. You may be very nice and very kind and very accomplished in life. And I'm so glad you're a part of this. But you actually, spiritually speaking, may have to step into the boots that Jesus has laid out for you. In a healthy church, everyone grows up. Everyone grows up in their faith and in their service. Look, Paul and Peter have already warned us. Have you not heard it? They've already warned us of the dangerous high stakes of staying immature. The stakes of remaining underdeveloped or naive or ignorant or unteachable or lazy the stakes are so high. Verse 14, uh, next slide, please. Paul is saying that Jesus has entrusted these roles and these abilities to us so that we may no longer be children. This is, he's using children in a bad, in a negative connotation. This means infants. This means foolish people. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, when you read those words, does not the American church look like a boat of toddlers tossed about our society? Paul was writing, when he's talking about being infants and tossed around by the waves and by every wind of social and societal and worldly influence, he knows what he's talking about. Think about where he is. He's in Rome. He's in prison. He's writing a letter to Christians in Ephesus. How did he get to Rome? How did he get to Rome from the Middle East? He sailed. And while he was sailing, they were storm-tossed, and they were shipwrecked. And so he's talking from experience of what it's like to be out of control at sea. When you cannot handle the sea, 
It sends you drifting to where you don't choose to go. Spiritual immaturity comes from a lack of practical theology. So many people know the Bible. So many people may even have correct doctrine but remain immature. It comes from a lack of practical theology. It comes from a lack of discipleship. It comes from a lack of mutual accountability, Christian to Christian, church to church. It comes from a lack of unity. This is how we may remain immature. All, lacking all of these good things, it perpetuates in Christians a childlike naivete towards the corrupting and divisive influences in the world around us. We become spiritually naive to the influences of the world. I hope I don't ruffle feathers, but I may have to. Movements and ideas like Christian nationalism, like critical theory, like celebrity cults, even in the church, even celebrity cults in organized religion. When Christians wholesale embrace these ideas, it is the result of immaturity. It is the result of lacking discernment to know the difference between worldliness and godliness. Those are the high stakes of staying spiritually immature by not employing the gifts and skills and abilities that God has given us and stepping up with courage and humility into the roles that Jesus has ordained for each of us. We have to grow up in our faith. And for each of you, it's going to look different. For some of you, practically, it just means trusting him and joining a community group or volunteering in a practical way. Or some of you may be called to office as an elder or a deacon. Or some of you may be called to leading a ministry team. Or you may be called to another place and another ministry someday. But we have to grow up in our faith. Paul goes on, next slide please, the last two verses. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see that, that, that phrase? God has saved us by his grace. That was all him. It wasn't us. But now he expects us to grow ourselves up as a church. He's not going to do it all for us. We have to grow up because of the grace that he has given to us. We have to grow up because even God's son grew up. Now here it is. According to Luke's gospel, next slide please, we're told that the boy Jesus, listen to this, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And that maturing, it was not just biological, right? He didn't just get bigger and stronger and heavier and more coordinated. And it wasn't just social. It's not just that he was a good little boy and became a respectful teenager and carpenter and citizen. It's also spiritual. You know how we know that? Next slide, please. Hebrews chapter five. 
where we're told, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Can you believe that? The Son of God, eternally perfect Son of God, attained human maturity through his suffering. And he said, no servant is greater than their master. That is how we ultimately mature, through suffering. It doesn't have to be the worst type of suffering. It may be the most simple and um, subtle and often overlooked type of suffering. The kind of suffering where, as we said last week, I lay down my personal preferences for your well-being. The kind of suffering that says, I need to listen to you and there needs to be give and take so that I understand your needs, not just that you understand mine. Some of the simplest forms of everyday suffering are very important because we learn how to sacrifice our wants for the needs of others. And nothing will help you do that more than being put into a leadership position. You will have to learn on that sharp curve how to sacrifice your preferences for the good of others. And nothing will teach you that more than realizing that God has entrusted an awesome gift to you, an important skill or talent, a precious learned experience, maybe through your own suffering, that is precious to Jesus, and he's given it to you, and he wants you to take it and offer it in love to the rest of us. Nothing will force you to mature more than realizing the Lord Jesus has given me the precious testimony of my suffering. And the fact that I'm petrified to use this thing that he's given to me, this talent, this skill, for the good of other people. Man, you'll grow up quick. So Jesus, although he was the son of God, attained human maturity through his suffering by pouring himself out for the good of his church for whom he died. So every healthy church, every true believer learns how to do the same. If you have been saved by grace, last slide, then you must grow up in grace. God has graciously provided certain leadership offices and roles, and he has provided many spiritual gifts and abilities and skills to all of us for the purpose that we all, each and all, can mature, can grow up into who Jesus wants us to be. So submit yourself, each of you, and I will too, submit yourself to Jesus for the employment of your gifts and abilities for the church's good. And before we take communion, let's just pray. Oh, Father, it's a sobering thing that you have specifically prepared good works for us to do, as, it, as Paul said back in chapter 2. It's, 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 it's intimidating, um, and, and uh, Father, we're, we're not up to this. 
Help us to believe that you are with us, that, that this is you at work, not simply us. Father, I pray for every person in this room that he or she would discover what you have entrusted to them for the benefit of their neighbors and for the maturity of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And if they don't know what that is, Father, help us to be patient as you are patient and to come alongside of one another to discover how each of us in our diverse ways can contribute to the health of the whole. In your name, amen.